Thank you, worship team, again. Appreciate you guys leading us. All right, here we go. What we believe, round 11. Okay, this is week 11 of what we believe. Um, More than any question that I have received in my time as a youth pastor has come up the question of predestination and salvation and how this is all supposed to work, okay? We get them in the question box. um, We get them in small groups. um, And it's something that just keeps coming up. And it's so important that our doctrinal statement, having finished our doctrinal statement now, at the end of it, they have four or five position papers, which are just extra papers that are to help us understand things that we think need a little extra explaining, okay? And so the first of those is on what's called the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of grace, and that is what we're going to cover today, okay? And it is on this topic that we've been hitting a couple times already, and we're going to hit it again, and as you might assume, it may not answer all of your questions, but I hope that you come at it with a desire to grow in your understanding of what scripture teaches and go a little bit farther down the road in trying to understand these tough, tough topics, okay? So, let's start with this guy. Shebang, John Calvin, okay? Um, Today, we are going to be talking about these doctrines of grace. They come from two pretty distinct camps when it comes to Christian theology and what you believe, okay? And on the one side is what is commonly called Calvinism, all right? And it is, uh, one of the proponents for it would be John Calvin, all right? That's why it's named Calvinism. Um, Do you guys know that Calvin and Hobbes, they got, Calvin and Hobbes was named after John Calvin, okay? Hobbes is named after the Hobbes family, that's right. (laughs) That is right. A philosopher. I don't know if Calvin and Hobbes in real life actually interacted with each other. I'd have to go back and look at the history books. Yeah. Yeah, differing opinions, I think. Okay. So we're at we're at Calvinism, okay? Um, and so in these two camps, first of all, I want you guys to realize this. Even though we've got two camps after two theologians, both of them are trying to say what the Bible says. Okay, so the question for us is who explains the Bible better, not what does John Calvin say versus what does Jacob Arminius say, okay? The question is, what does the Bible say? That's always the question. So Calvinism is the belief, largely, that God is in charge of all aspects of our salvation, and we contribute nothing to being saved, okay? So let's flesh this out really quick. God knew before the beginning of time who would be saved. God predestined before the beginning of time who would be saved. Those who God chose to save, he called. Okay, so in that moment when when you felt that tug in your heart saying, I want to confess my sins and believe in Jesus, that's God calling you to come and follow him. And God's calling, Calvin teaches, is irresistible, which means that when God called you to believe, 
You had to believe. You were going to believe. Okay? He, in fact, gave you that faith. So that faith, that repentance, that was enabled by God. That was God at work in you to save you. And after God has called you to be saved, he keeps you. He keeps you in the family. There's no way that he's going to lose you. All right? You're not going to become an orphan someday. You're not going to lose your faith, which is what our topic was at the beginning here, right? That he doesn't let go of anyone that he has saved. So that's one side, Calvinism. This is the side of the doctrines of grace. This is what our church believes, okay? The doctrines of Calvinism are what's called the doctrines of grace, okay? Because the idea is we're being saved by grace, all grace, the whole way. Grace, 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 okay? On the other side, we have this guy, Jacob Arminius, okay? And Arminianism is, on the other side, it says that we all have the free will to choose to follow God or to reject God. So this is the side of the doctrines of free will. We must first believe, then God will save us. Let me flesh that out a little bit. When people are saved, it's because they chose to be saved. They chose to believe in Jesus. So God is not in charge of every aspect of your salvation. You contribute something to your salvation. You contribute faith to your salvation. And then God saves you. And because you contribute something, when you stop contributing that thing, you lose your faith. So if you stop believing in Jesus, you stop being a Christian. So you can lose your faith according to Jacob Arminius, okay? So these are the two sides. Either you're saved entirely by God as a work of God, all by grace, or you're saved because you chose to follow Jesus and you, can, you stay there because you choose to stay there, okay? Well, so the, here's the question I want to ask us. Which one do you think sounds better to most people's ears? If I was just to like go out on the street and be like, do you think that God chooses whom he's going to save? Or do you think humans first choose God and then he saves them? What's the average person going to say sounds better to them? Do you think, Dalen? That they choose. That they choose, okay. Anyone disagree? An average person would say, I think, you know, it sounds, a little, sounds more like we choose and then God saves us. Why do you think that one might sound a little bit better to us? Um, because then they have like a choice. Because we're Americans for crying out loud, <laughs> right? We have a choice. What do you mean I don't have a choice? I always have a choice. I'm free. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right? It's kind of offensive to think that we don't have a choice, right? Of course I have a choice. Any other reasons? Trailing off. Can't hear you. All right. It's a tough one. Yes. Okay, it raises some hard questions. Yeah. What if he doesn't pick me? That's a hard question. 
And the other thing I would say is it, it sure feels like I have a choice. Would you guys agree with that? Like the moment when I chose to follow Jesus, I remember sitting there and thinking like, it, it wasn't just like this robotic like, oh, I'm going to choose Jesus now. I actually was like, my heart was filled with love and joy. I, I want Jesus. I can't, like I'm a sinner and I want to believe in him. I chose to follow Jesus. So it sure feels like it. So how are we supposed to understand this? Okay, well, which one is right? I think yeah, huge. Doesn't sound fair. Sure doesn't sound fair if God chooses who's going to be saved and who's not. Big questions. Well, we're going to choose which one is right. Um, we all have beliefs, okay? You guys have beliefs. And this is a huge thing that I want us to keep in mind as we go through this series. Our beliefs are always built on something. So if you think of a building... There's a our building going up behind our house, building a new house. What's the very first thing they do when they build a new house? Pour the foundation, okay? All beliefs are built on some sort of foundation. And your beliefs are built on a foundation. And a lot of, everybody's beliefs are built on a foundation. So the question is, what's our foundation? I know you guys know the answer, but let's think. A lot of people have different foundations, right? So some people, their foundation is what the news says, is my foundation of what is true. Specifically, what does Fox News say? Or what does CNN say, depending on which one you like to watch more? That is my foundation for what is true. And some of us, our foundation for what is true is what Johnny in algebra class said. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm joking, right? Like, what my friend believes actually makes a lot of sense to me, and that's why I believe what I believe, right? Like, you, know, you could take something like that's hot to talk about, is like, is smoking pot really wrong? No, it's like it's a plant. God created plants. Plants are good. In creation has said everything's were good. Like, why can't I? Johnny said it was true. So I, that's what I believe. Okay. Dalen? Who's Johnny? He's, he's the guy in your algebra class. He sits behind you. You don't talk to him much. Okay. Some of you, your beliefs are built on what your favorite YouTuber says. You don't, you don't, you laugh, but it's true. You sit and you digest what that YouTuber says and you start spouting off the same things they're saying because you believe them. Your beliefs are based on them. Your beliefs are based on what your chemistry teacher says. Your beliefs are based on what your parents say. That's a huge thing. <laughs> and if you're homeschooled, the same thing as your chemistry teacher, yes. <laughs> your beliefs are based on what your textbooks say. After all, they're professionals right? Until you actually come across textbooks that say different things. Hmm, that's interesting. What are we supposed to do with that one? Or your beliefs are based on what your heart tells you. And actually, that's probably one of our biggest things, right? That's why someone might say, I believe in free will because it's just wrong not to have free will. My heart tells me that that's not true. Well, you guys, if you're going to remember one thing from our series, we're going to say this. We base our beliefs on what Scripture says. We want to know what does the Bible say. So even though you might start today with a visceral reaction against Calvinism or against Arminianism, it doesn't matter how you feel. 
what matters is what the Bible teaches us and then getting your feelings to line up with what the Bible teaches us. So we want to start by looking at just a couple passages, okay? And we're going to identify the doctrines of grace in these passages, okay? So just just follow along with me. So keep in mind these two ideas. Either God saves me from start to finish, he does everything, or I contribute my faith. I do something in order to get saved. And let's, let's read what it says here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right? So, Paul, what are you talking about? What kind of blessings? Even as he chose us in him, Before the foundation of the world. So right off the bat. Chosen. Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy. This is what you are going to be someday. Because you were chosen. And blameless before him. In love. He predestined us. For adoption to himself. As sons through Jesus Christ. So in love. God set before time began. A destiny over those who would be adopted into his family according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Keep going. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So, so far, you guys hearing this word predestined, chosen, being repeated, things like from before the beginning of time, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is what Doug referenced at the beginning. So after you come to faith, you're sealed. So if you guys think of like a a letter in the old days, they put wax on it and then put a seal, the king's seal on it, to show that it came from the king, so to show that this letter can't be opened except for whoever it's addressed to, okay? You have a seal upon you, the Holy Spirit, and that seal, whoops, should have gone a little bit further there, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this seal, it's a guarantee. Okay, so if anyone's guarantee is going to be good, I'm thinking God's guarantee should be good. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're sealed for all of time. God doesn't lose what he's bought. Okay? Now, The Arminian side would read that, and here's what they'd say. They would say, all this choosing and this predestining language and election language that we're going to hear maybe later on, it's all talking about God simply knowing, because he's God, who would one day choose to follow him. So the the option is open to everyone. You all have free will. But God just knows who's going to say yes and come and follow him, and that's how he can predestine But that's not what predestined means. 
predestined, there's actually a difference between foreknowledge, knowing ahead of time what's going to happen, and predestining, planning and choosing ahead of time what's going to happen. And the words that we see are actually that God both foreknew in Romans 8 and he predestined um, us who were going to believe. So this is before the beginning of time language is, is consistent with scripture. We could also go to Ephesians 2. This is the second one we'll look at and then we'll keep going in our argument. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul is like really clear about how much you contribute to your salvation here. How much do you contribute? Well, you're dead. You were dead. And you contributed to your salvation as much as a dead person contributes to anything. Okay? Among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So here, this is what you were. You were doing whatever you wanted, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You were under God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, notice it doesn't say here, but you chose to believe. That's not what it says. It says, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so the coming of the age might know that there's a word of Jesus Christ. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. And for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It doesn't say, thank goodness you believed and then God could save you. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works. Okay, now an Arminian would say having faith is not a work, but we would say sure sounds like you're doing something. Okay? Not by works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So look at this. Even the good works that you're going to go on to do after you're saved, God prepared them beforehand, that we should walk in them. God's in charge of saving you. He breathes life into your dead body. He raises you to life. And then you do the holy and righteous things that he prepared for you to do before the beginning of time. God is in every single step along the way, enabling you to do it. All right. Well, let's, um, I want to address what our paper says here, okay? But before I do that, there are potentially negative ways of responding to what these passages are saying. And there's two that, that, that come up, okay? And these come under what's called hyper-Calvinism. Now, I know you guys know what hyper means in your classroom. This is a different kind of hyper, okay? Um, hyper means beyond or above Calvinism. It's, it's adding to Calvinism, okay? And it is this idea that if you take these doctrines to their logical conclusion, then we can come to a couple of beliefs. First of all, we can believe that anyone who is saved is among the elect and better than other people. There's an elitism and an arrogance that comes from believing in the doctrines of grace. Because if you actually believed in Christ, then I guess I'm among the elect and you are not. That is not what scripture teaches, but that is something that people get to. The second thing is... They say, well, if everything is predestined and predetermined, I guess there are certain things I don't really need to do as a Christian. 
Like pray? Why would I pray as a Christian? Everything's already determined. Like share the gospel? Why would I need to share the gospel with anybody? God's already elected who he's going to save. I don't need to do anything. These are things that the Bible does not teach. So we want our belief to be in line with Scripture, not just taking these few verses and saying, oh, well, I know what I don't have to do now. So here's what our statement says. It says, it is our conviction that the doctrines of grace, if rightly grasped with the mind and learned with the heart and yielded with, or wielded with one's life, actually undergird and encourage and nourish our love for God and our love for our neighbor. Uh, and we will suggest four ways how this is possible. So let's look at these four ways. And let, I'm going to do questions at the end of each one because I know this is all me talking, all right? So if you have a question, wait for me to finish the first point and then we'll let you ask your question, okay? So point number one, the idea that God does everything in our salvation should cause us to love him more and not less. This is our first point because there's a huge danger out there for those who hold to the doctrines of grace. And it's the danger that believing in predestination means that salvation is actually kind of impersonal. It's more like, you guys come to the uh, Slovenia silent auction and we do a raffle. Have you guys ever been part of a raffle before? You buy a ticket, got the numbers there. If you believe in predestination, you might come to think, that salvation is kind of like winning the raffle, okay? The guy gets up in front and he reads the number, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. You look down and you won. How many of you at that moment run up to the guy reading the number and go, you are so loving. You have done this for me. I am so blessed by what you have done for me. You have allowed me to win the big screen TV and I am so eternally thankful. I'm gonna dedicate my life to serving you. You don't do that. Because all he did was pick a number and read it. And some of us can think if salvation is all an act of God and it's all predetermined, then it's all kind of impersonal. But that's not how the Bible talks about our salvation, is it? So for example, we just read, God, with what kind of affections is God raising you to life? Well, with rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So when God goes to people that he's chosen and raises their dead spiritual state to life, he's doing it out of a love for you, for Caleb and for Noel and for Colin, okay? Like you you personally, God loves you. And so he raises you up to life so that you can follow him. It is an act of love. And so it ought to cause us to respond with love to God. So we uphold and we celebrate the doctrines of grace um, because it's a celebration of God's love for us. All right, so any questions on the first point that the idea that God causes, does everything in our salvation should cause, us not, should cause us to love him more, not less. We could go even further and see that God saves us when we were sinners. He saves us when we were his enemies. Okay, so we should have awe and adoration, all right? Well, let's look at the second point. The idea that God does everything in our salvation should make us more humble and not more proud, okay? So there's this other danger out there. Yeah. I had a question. Yeah, go ahead. So God chooses us or after our 
So God chooses us from the beginning of time. And the point of the first one is to say, when he does that, he doesn't do it like according to some computer program, like he entered the data and here's the people who would be saved. He does it knowing Aaron and who Aaron would be in the year 2019. And, and when he thought of Aaron in 2019 or whenever you became a Christian, um, he thought with, with love towards you and in affection planned that he would raise your dead body to life on that day. Okay, so it's done with love. And so it causes us to love him back, right? So the second point makes us not more, pr- more proud, but more humble. So there's a danger out there that predestination and election will cause you to think that somehow you are better than the people around you. That you're better than those who haven't come to the faith because God has elected me. God has chosen me. I am the chosen one or one of the chosen ones, okay? And you are not, apparently, if you're not a Christian. It can cause that. And that is not the proper response, again, because that's not what Scripture says. Paul talks about our salvation in 1 Corinthians 1. It says, consider your calling. So he's talking about election here. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful or of noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So when God chose you before the beginning of time, he wasn't choosing you because you were so great. He was choosing you because he's great. And so at the end of this, it says, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became our wisdom from God, righteousness, signification, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if you're going to brag about anything as a Calvinist, you don't brag that you're among the elect. You brag that a God would love you so much as to raise you from the dead even when you were his enemy and you were spitting in his face and you were walking in the opposite direction and you say, I serve a great and loving God. Not, I'm so great, I'm among the elect. That's what scripture says about that one. Okay, any questions on that second point? All right, everybody stand up, turn around two times and sit back down. You guys are yawning. So here's, here's a picture of this for you, okay? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, okay? This is the physical demonstration of the spiritual thing that happens when each one of us are saved, okay? It says, you know, don't open the, the tomb, Lord, he stinketh, Martha says, um, right? And, and so they open the tomb. Jesus calls to Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. We believe that according to the doctrines of grace, that there was no option for Lazarus but to come out. Okay? There's no tomb that Jesus could have stood in front of and said, Lazarus, come out, and the person wouldn't have come out. But Arminians would say Jesus could stand outside of a tomb and say, come out, and that person could have a choice and say, maybe I will, maybe I won't. We believe that God's calling is so powerful that when he says, come to life, you do. 
And then when Lazarus comes out, Lazarus doesn't come out like an NBA player thumping his chest after a slam dunk. or a, He doesn't come out doing a touchdown dance, right, like the NFL players. Because that would be ridiculous. He comes out knowing that he has been brought to life by God himself, right? So that's how we respond to being saved. We look at our salvation as totally being done by God. It, it still raises questions, all right? You might have them, okay? Yeah, go ahead, ask them. Like, when Lazarus comes back to life, is it like he's in heaven and he came back, or...? It's a great, great question. Um, I would say yes. Okay. Yeah. That's the short answer. Moving on, here we go. <laughs> okay, third. Third. The idea that God does everything in our salvation should cause us to pray all the more, all right? So we said that one of the dangers, and this is actually, this is reading straight from our paper. It says, if God has sovereignly ordained that all all that takes place, why pray for anything specific to happen? Doesn't the sovereignty of God negate the need for prayer? More specifically, if God has chosen whom he will and will not save, if Christ has died for his elect so that they will surely be saved, Why do we need to pray for the salvation of any? Why pray? Big question. Actually, when I told someone in my life that I was a Calvinist, that was their first thing they said to me. So you don't believe in prayer, do you? Okay, and that's where you get if you just march down a logical, you know, God's planned everything so we can't, we don't need to do anything. But that's not how scripture talks about it. Okay? So we want to know, how does Scripture talk about it? Well, first of all, does Scripture tell us to pray? Yes. Yes. Okay. Lord, teach us to pray, the disciples asked Jesus. So prayer must fit into this all somehow. This is what I want you guys to learn how to do. You need to learn to be able to be conversant on what the Bible says. So if someone says, oh, you believe in predestination, therefore you believe blah, 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 blah. You say, well, no, I believe in what the Bible says. So I think the Bible talks about predestination. I also think the Bible tells me to pray. And somehow, i got to put these together. Elijah? Can we also like, pray for other people Yeah, and that's what we're going to get to right here. That's very good. So scripture doesn't say this. You know where do you read in the Bible? God already decided everything. So really no need to pray, guys. Scripture also doesn't say, you better start praying because God has not planned anything. And it all, it all depends on you guys. It doesn't say that. It says, pray for God's plans, which have already been determined so that they will be done. Think about this for a minute. Pray that God's plans, which are already determined, will be done. That's, this is how Jesus teaches us to pray, isn't it? He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is, Jesus, is God's kingdom going to come? Yeah, it's promised. His kingdom's coming. And what does Jesus tell the disciples to pray? May your kingdom come. Okay? We pray that God's plans would come about. Okay? God's sovereign will 
uh, is what we pray for it to be done. And here's what's crazy. God, in his sovereignty, takes your prayers into account and they factor in to how his sovereign will is carried out. Okay, so a couple examples of this. You guys remember the Garden of Gethsemane? And what's Jesus tell Peter? What's he tell him is going to happen? What's Peter going to do? He's going to deny him. He's going to deny him three times. And he tells him that in Mark 14.30. And eight verses later, what does he tell Peter to do? Eight verses later, he says, Peter, pray. Pray so that you won't fall into temptation. So you are going to fall into temptation. You're going to deny me. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Did Peter pray? Peter falls asleep. Did he fall into temptation? Yes, he did. Wrap your head around that. Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. And he tells him to pray. He doesn't pray. And it's exactly what happens, right? He sins. Okay? Think about the other snares, other side of it. In Luke, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you. So after you have fallen away and you return, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knows Peter's going to fall away. And Peter has, Jesus has prayed for Peter so that Peter, after falling away from him, will return to Jesus. Does Peter return to Jesus? Yeah, he does. Now the question is, did he return to Jesus because God predestined before the beginning of time for Peter to return to Jesus? Or did he return to Jesus because Jesus prayed for him to return to him? And the answer is both. Jesus' prayers fit into God's sovereign plan so that Peter would return to Jesus and lead his brothers in the faith. So the question for you is, should I pray? And the answer is, most definitely. God is at work to carry out his sovereign plan because you are praying through your prayers. So if you know someone who is not a Christian, should you pray for them? Most definitely. Because you are doing the exact thing that Jesus is doing in praying for Peter so that Peter would come back to the faith. Okay? Would come back to Jesus shouldn't have said come back to the faith that muddies the waters on some other topics but anyways we'll keep going um so we pray like crazy knowing that god saves those that he's chosen through our prayers all right out of time so let's read the fourth one the idea that god does everything in our salvation gives us courage and confidence in evangelism and mission so there is a danger out there that because god is predestining everyone i can just stay home (laughs) i don't have to go to slovenia on the mission trip I don't have to worry about telling my awkward friends in chemistry class about Jesus. There's a danger of that. There's this danger of thinking that because we're Calvinists, we can only, all we have to worry about is coming to church and having our little holy huddle with us. And, and somehow, by God's sovereign plan, people are going to make it into this huddle. I don't know how because it's a pretty tight group, but somehow they're going to get in here because they're elect. And that is not what scripture says. I mean, the Bible talks all over the place about sharing our faith and telling people about Jesus. But there's a passage that brings together election and mission. And it's really interesting. In Acts 18.10, 
all right? The storyline is that, that God is sending Paul into Corinth, a dangerous city, to share the gospel, and here's what he tells him. That should be at the top there. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, what he's saying is, there are many people who are right now don't believe in God, are not following Jesus, but they are chosen to. They've been elected to be part of God's family. So go into the city with confidence and with courage because I have already chosen some and you need to share the gospel so that they will come and be among my family. So the application is not stay at home, Paul. Get some rest. Don't get beat up again. The application is get in there and share the gospel because there are some in here who are going to receive it. So the doctrines of grace cause us to go to people and to share the gospel confident that God will save them because God is the one who does the work, not them. We don't go in going, gee, I wonder if they're going to believe. We go in going, God is the one who's going to raise these people to life and he's going to use me to share the gospel with them so that he does it. And we do it confidently. Okay. Well, we are out of time. Probably kicked up some questions. Please come and ask questions of me. But I want to end with this application. If you have been saved, if you count yourself as those who are among the faith, know how much the Father loves you. That he planned before the beginning of time that he would one day call to you and say your name and say, come and be part of my family. And then he would draw you into his family in a way that you couldn't even resist it. He would raise you from death to life. Know that that is how much God loves you. If you have not been saved, know that God's call is for you to repent and believe and join the family. And if you feel like you're losing your faith, like we started today, that question, I'm losing my faith. If you feel like you're losing your faith, know that God does not lose those that he has called. Return to God. Remember what he has done for you when he called you into repentance and faith. Okay, read the Psalms. Read the Psalms and hear the heart of those who, who wrestled with their faith. Read Psalm 40 and how David said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Do what David did. Preach to yourself. God doesn't lose those he calls. So God, remind me of the love that I had for you at first. And he will, because he doesn't lose those that he calls. Okay, so these doctrines are to encourage us in faith, not cause us to stray. Let me pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us as a group. I know that there are many in this group who are on various stages of this path. And so, Lord, we ask that this ministry, this teaching of your word, this uh, gospel would call them into the election that you have prepared for them and for those who are um, in your family, that they would rest confidently knowing that you love them and that you have chosen them and that you will not lose them 
and for those of us in the family that you would allow us to pursue others in prayer and evangelism, knowing that there are still more, still more, that you have predestined to join this family. In Jesus' name, amen.